All righty. This week we are studying Mary. Now, originally, this was supposed to be before Christmas, but, you know, things just got so messed up, and now we get to study about Mary after Christmas, which, you know what? God's timing is perfect, so I'm good with it. So, Mary, throughout the centuries, she has had so many faces, hasn't she? Uh, She was called the mother of God, the mother of Jesus, a deity, a saint, the Holy Virgin. But who was she truly? And what did she look like? Don't you ever wonder what these people actually look like? Well, people would say she looked like, whoops, I don't have my nini. (laughs) I don't have my pictures. Yay! Thank you. Uh, So some would say she looked like this. This is kind of what everybody kind of envisions, but this is actually completely wrong. Um, That's very improbable. But according to anthropologists, just like our pictures that we have seen throughout history of Jesus was nothing like what he actually was supposed to look like. You know, we always had a picture of him being, you know, this this white guy with blue eyes. And it's like, hello, he's Mideastern. So he was more than likely very dark skin, almost like our our African brothers and sisters. And so um, more than likely, Mary, looked like this. So that's how we can kind of envision her as we go through this study, that she was a, a peasant, perhaps a farmer, maybe a shepherdess. She was an ordinary-looking person, a woman, who gave birth to an ordinary man-looking mind you, according to scripture, because there was nothing about Jesus that was supposed to be beautiful to look upon. And why did he do that? Why did God make himself look ordinary so that we wouldn't look at his face, instead we would look at who he was instead inside? So our society would have uh, our, our two two subjects looking something like this. Now, when I saw this picture, this scared me. I'm going, oh my goodness, they actually think that Mary is equal with Jesus in this picture. And so what I hope is as we go through this study that you will see that yes, she was blessed by God, but she was also someone who was ordinary looking, just like you and I. And so before we get into God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be able to come again today to meet together, to see each other's faces, even though it's only half. Lord, we're still thankful that we can look at people's eyes and we can see that they're smiling. And we are grateful that we are all healthy and we're able to come here. And we would ask that you do end this pandemic, Lord, in your timing, that I know you have a purpose for everything that you do and that we need to uh, learn what it is that we need to learn. And we are thankful for those trials and those tribulations because they strengthen us. And as we go through this, this study about Mary, who uh, even though she was blessed by you, she still went through a lot of heartache and a lot of trials. And so help us to envisual, visualize her properly as you would have us see her. And so we love you, Lord. Thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does the Bible say about Mary? Well, let's look at 
Luke 1, 26 through 38. That kind of gives us what happened to Mary. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. And we're going to pick up in verse 26 of chapter 1 in Luke. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, Gabriel is an angel that was entrusted by God to deliver messages on his behalf. Uh, He was sent to talk to Daniel a couple of times, a great prophet. He announced to Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would have a child in her old age that ended up being John the Baptist. And now he was sent to, verse 27, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man, Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, Joseph was a really nice guy. He was a carpenter like his father before him. And that word engaged also means betrothed, but it's a little bit different than what it is today. If you have a couple that's getting married, how many times do they break off their engagement? I mean, I would say that happens upon occasion, doesn't it? They decide, okay, maybe we jumped into this. Well, that wasn't something you did back then. When you were betrothed, when you were engaged, it was seen in the eyes of the law as being practically married. But they, they didn't dwell together, they didn't live together, they didn't have relations together until the the boy was able to support a wife and possibly children. And so now Mary is betrothed to Joseph and this this angel, Gary, uh, excuse me, Gary, (laughs) Gabriel, I like to call people by their shortcuts. But anyway, so Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And some versions will say, uh, blessed are you. So it's the same meaning. And confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Excuse me. So Jesus simply means Savior. That's what Jesus means. Verse 32 says he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, so we're talking about a 15-year-old girl who gets approached by an angel and from what I understand of scriptures, angels were pretty awesome to look at. And so you've got this angel talking to her, telling her that she's going to be pregnant even though she's never had a relationship with a guy, and her son is going to be all these things. And we get a little insight into exactly what the purpose of Jesus will be here. He says he will be very great. Well, he's the son of God. He will obviously be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I mean, these are amazing things. Right here we see that he is an eternal being. So you can imagine what a 15-year-old or so, you know, what's going through her head. And Mary asked the angel, verse 34, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. 
Now, like I said before, while a couple is betrothed in the Jewish law, they are not to have any sexual relationship whatsoever. This would be against their law, which makes sense because they're not actually dwelling together yet. Verse 35 says, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be, to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. So first thing, get it out of your head that God has had, is having sex with Mary. That did not happen, okay? This is not what's being said here. But just like God created and breathed life into Adam, God is creating a human in her womb and breathing his energy into the baby, thus making him his son, the son of God. Then 36 says, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she is in her sixth month. So this was the previous announcement that Gabriel made. That's an old man and old woman were going to give birth to a child. And it was to serve as further proof that, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Amen to that. There is nothing God cannot do. It is not impossible for him to give an old man and an old woman a child. It's not impossible for him to give a virgin a child. It's not impossible for God to conquer death. It's not impossible for God to make you and I a new creation. Jesus would later confirm this in Matthew's gospel when speaking to his disciples. He says, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who can be saved then? So they're going, well, you know, if, if a rich man can't be saved, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So let's pause for a moment here. How many times in our lives have we thought that the situation is impossible? I mean, some of us are saying, I cannot do this whole pandemic thing anymore. I'm done. Stick me with a fork. I'm done. Right? How many times have we said, our marriage can't be fixed. Our prodigal son will never come home. Our finances will never be straightened out. My mind will always be broken. God can't fix the hurt, the pain. Fill in the blank. So many times we'll say, God can't do this. But with God, nothing is impossible. He actually breathes life into us. He can fix anything. All we have to do is wait on him. His timing is perfect. And it will always happen in his timing, not ours. So when you're an impatient person like I am, it's like, okay, Lord, I think I've learned my lesson. Okay, can the trial be over? Can the pandemic be over? I've learned my lesson. Promise, I will never take church for granted again, right? How many times have we said that one? But rest in the truth that God's timing is perfect. Continuing on with Mary now, verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. 
She said, I am the Lord's servant. This is going to be how she's going to get through all the trials that are going to be coming her way. That was her attitude after being given this most extraordinary news. I, anybody have a 15, 16-year-old at home? Can you imagine them getting this kind of news? Can you imagine you getting this kind of news? <laughs> and then she goes, but mom, really? I wasn't fooling around, honest. They're gonna, you're going to go, yeah, sure. So this is what Mary is facing here. But her attitude was, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you want, Lord, I will, I will do. Me, I'd be gasping for breath, you know, get me a paper bag and I'd be breathing into it. But her trust in the Lord must have been very strong. Now, now let's look at our new scripture, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That shows you, it kind of gives you a little insight on exactly how important a betrothal is, that you actually had to get divorced. But he considered these things, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So they, even though he married her anyway, they didn't consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. But can you imagine the situation Mary was put in? He said he didn't, Joseph did not want to put her to shame. I mean, picture for a moment, even in today's society, when you found, find out a young girl is pregnant, she's not married, there's a certain amount of stigma that goes along with that, doesn't, isn't there? And in this day and age, it would almost be a death sentence. If the people were really angry at the situation, sometimes they would consider her as committing adultery and they would have stoned her. So you, know, you can imagine how terrified she was, trying to convince people, no, you know, this is, I'm still a virgin, I just am having a baby. And most people are going to go, yeah, right. You know, dream on. And so she decided then, because this was such a difficult situation, she decided to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was a very godly woman. And we also are probably f very familiar with that story. She goes to Elizabeth's, and I think uh, Mary was in about her sixth month. And so because they wear those baggy clothes, maybe a lot of people didn't realize that Mary was pregnant, maybe just getting a little chubby or something. And so she goes to Elizabeth's, and Elizabeth says that when Mary walked in the door, her baby in her womb leapt. You know, in other words, her baby had a reaction to 
Mary's baby walking in the room, even though they were both in the womb still. And so Elizabeth was very understanding and, and realizing that this was something very significant that was happening to, to Mary. But from this point on, the story of Jesus' birth is widely known. And so now we are going to look at Mary's life after Jesus was born and is now growing up. So Mary, she was a typical mother. And to set the stage of our next scripture, every year Jesus' parents would attend Passover in Jerusalem. And when it was over, they left, and I guess it was with a big group, and there was lots of family, lots of cousins, lots of kids running around. You can probably picture the scene of a, a family event where, you know, all the kids are just playing together. And you know that as long as they stick together, they're pretty much safe, right? At least I used to do that with my boys, and they were always doing some kind of, you know, uh, playing around in the yard, and so I never had to worry about them. Kind of the same scene, except now they're kind of walking towards Nazareth. And at the end of the day, they're all supposed to go back to their, their, little, their tents, their camps, so to speak, and Mary and Joseph find out that Jesus isn't there. So they panic. I mean, every parent would. They panic, and they run back to Jerusalem. And for three days, they tried to find him. Luke 2, 45 through 51, it says, and when Mary couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, I mean, you can just picture her going, son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. So what can we learn about this particular scripture? Well, Mary was a mom just like all of us. I had a, a child that was always a, I called him my little free spirit, and that was my youngest, Austin. Every time I went, uh, the, at, we lived in the mountains at the time, and at the bottom of the mountain was a Walmart, and so that was the place where I normally went shopping for everything. They had, a, they had groceries, they had all that kind of stuff. The minute I would walk into Walmart, Austin would bolt somewhere, and usually he loved those circular clothes racks, and he would sit, and he would, you could see him, he would part it, and he would snicker. And usually I found him because he was laughing inside one of these clothes racks. But that was just him. So one day, I decided, okay, I'm going to show him. He went to hide in one of the clothes racks. Well, I went and hid myself. And he bolts out of that clothes rack going, Mom, Mom! And he started screaming and crying. I'm going, over here, honey. See? Doesn't... It doesn't feel good, does it? No, don't do that again. I go, okay, I tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I won't disappear if you don't. Okay. You know, but that was just him. He loved to, he was so independent. Well, Jesus apparently was very independent himself, but remember, he's not a normal child. He is God. He is God's son. And so she was trying to be the best mother she could, and no doubt when she couldn't find him for three days, I mean, she must have been 
so angry. Can you imagine losing a child for three days? I would panic after 15 minutes. But she was probably thinking, how could I have lost the Son of God? I am in real trouble now. I mean, think about it. But when all was said and done, Mary stored all these things in her heart. She's going, wow, this isn't a normal kid. Because by that time, she had other children of her own. And she's going, she probably could compare the two, going, wow, Jesus never does anything wrong. Whereas her normal boys and girls would, you know, they were typical kids, you know, getting into mischief and stuff. But there's another time when Mary ponders these things in her heart. And it was in uh, Luke 2, 18 and 19, when the shepherds came and worshipped him. It said, all who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. So remember that in the back of your mind. But how could you not think about all that is going on in this extraordinary son that was given her? So our next scripture centers on Jesus' ministry and Mary's reaction to it. Excuse me. John 2, four, excuse me, John 2, 1 through 4, says the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now that's kind of weird. She goes up to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. It's kind of like, you need to do something about this. And he says, dear woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And so I, I love this particular insight into Mary. Because even though he's the son of God and he's an adult child, don't we still boss around our adult children? Okay, we, I kind of picture this is what's going on. And she's going, Jesus, you know, come on. You're the son of God. I remember what was said about you. It's time that you stepped up and, and became the man you were created to be. And what does he say? My time has not yet come. He wasn't ready yet to reveal who he was. But she was trying to push him, you know, just like we like to push our own kids. So, you know, I kind of picture uh, Jesus saying, yes, mom, you are my mom, but I am God. Okay. <laughs> So our next scripture comes at the end of Jesus' earthly life, and it's found in John 19, 25 through 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, this disciple, the one they're talking about, is John. And the scripture can be very sad when you think about it because more than likely, Mary was a witness or heard firsthand all the horrible happenings, those things that were happening to her son. Even though he is the son of God, he was still 
her baby. She raised him from an infant. She had given birth to him. And so she had to endure Jesus' trial. She had to watch him being whipped mercilessly. And then she had to watch him being nailed to a cross and all that that entailed. But this also shows us that Mary still had a special place in Jesus' heart, doesn't it? When he's hanging on the cross, suffering, he still looks down and he wants her cared for. That is just such a sweet heart that we see in Jesus. But but John was to take care of her. He made John promise, take care of my mom. And the last scripture we're going to look at is found in Acts. And it says, Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those that were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphasus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So this is after Jesus has been crucified. He is ascended into heaven, and look where Mary's at. She still wants to be a part of his ministry. We see her still following after God. She believed the scriptures that were written. When it said that he will rule over Israel forever, she took that as, okay, God has a plan. And that was probably one of her most amazing strengths. And that was that even though her son had been crucified, she also heard the stories that he rose again. It doesn't actually say whether or not she was able to see uh, Jesus It does say that a couple of Marys saw him, but they were Mary of Magdalene and Mary, the the sister of of, uh, Lazarus. And so it doesn't say anything about Jesus' mother actually seeing him after his death, but no doubt she probably saw him. He was here for, oh my goodness, it was almost a month before he ascended into heaven. But it just shows that she believed everything that God had said, all the promises All those things that she pondered in her heart, she began to see them come into focus, didn't she? And she also now had a purpose. She was meeting and praying with the disciples. She was continuing Jesus' ministry. So what can we learn from Mary? A lot, I think. But the first thing is God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. As we've been going through all of the the women of the Bible, we are seeing that God uses ordinary women like you and I. They're not the the brightest. They're not the most beautiful. They're not the the most intelligent. They are ordinary women. And the, the thing that actually connects all of them is that they trusted God. They had faith in God. But God can use anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you have been. God can always use you. You remember what Mary said? I am the Lord's servant. In other words, she says, do whatever you want to do with me, God. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So God can use anyone because he fills us with his spirit. When we receive Christ, that spirit, the same spirit that was in Mary, is now in us. And he will do that work through us. It doesn't matter. Like sometimes people say, well, I'm just too shy. I could never do that. Well, guess what? Because God's spirit is in you, he won't make you do something that you don't want to do. He will He creates you to do those things which you love to do. And then you have the Holy Spirit to help you through that. All right, number two, Mary was a sinner, just like the rest of us. Do you believe that? I do. She knew she needed a Savior and stated as much. But how do we know that? Well, she was born of Adam and Eve. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say, except Mary. Everyone is a sinner, Mary included. And Jesus died on the cross for Mary also. Don't think for a moment he didn't want to ease her suffering. I mean, she's at the foot of his cross, weeping as she's watching her child be treated in such a manner. And I know he probably said, you know, let me off of this cross. I need to hug my mom. But he didn't. He stayed there because Mary needed to have her sins paid for also. Don't forget that. Number three, Mary's strength came from faith in God. She believed God at his word. Mary knew that without God, she could do nothing. She couldn't become pregnant with his son. She couldn't have gone through the life she has gone through. She couldn't have uh, borne what she had to watch with him being crucified. She had no no, no choice but to trust in God. There was no other way to do that. And she had to live out that verse found in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how she got through it. And lastly, the reaction she had to that faith is Mary trusted in God above all else. All the stuff that was going around her, she still trusted in God. She still said, I am your servant. I will do whatever you want me to be. No matter the circumstances, Mary trusted God when she became pregnant, didn't she? I mean, that's got to be pretty scary. When she had to go to Bethlehem in her ninth month, now picture that for a moment. When I was pregnant with my son, Brandon, I flew from Austria. I was in my ninth month. I flew from Austria to Los Angeles. Boy, was that uncomfortable. I wasn't really supposed to be flying, and it was because I was so little, Brandon was little, that they had no idea I was that far along. But now I know why they say, no, you can't do that. Because it was painful. I was so uncomfortable. Can you now imagine not sitting on a nice comfy chair in a plane, even though you're scrunched up a little bit, but on a donkey? I mean, oh my goodness, riding a horse is painful. Can you imagine a donkey with a little bony back? But anyway, (laughs) there's a visualization for you. But then she lost Jesus in Jerusalem. She had to trust God. When she witnessed Jesus' ministry, she had to trust God. When she watched him beaten and murdered, she had to trust God. 
Mary trusted God. If that was one of the, the best attributes you can place upon her, that would be enough, wouldn't it? Proverbs 3, 5 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Isn't that the truth? We cannot lean on our own understanding because you know what? We're very flippant, aren't we? One minute we understand, the next minute we don't. We have emotions that will always hinder us. I would imagine that she was tempted to lean on her own understanding when she watched her son's life unfold. Probably all those things which she pondered in her heart would haunt her from time to time. What did that really mean? What is in store for my son? And then she would probably question, you know, is he really God? Of course he was. But he was also her son, which she loved dearly and that she raised from an infant. So wrapping up, see, Mary deserves to be honored, doesn't she? And she was and she still is. God picked her out of all the women in history for this particular mission. And she was to be the mother of his only begotten son. However, she was still human, wasn't she? And I'm sure she struggled with life just like we do. You know, just the day-to-day. We all have a sinful nature, and we all fall short, don't we? But I'm sure she wouldn't want to be put on a pedestal like so many people do. She probably would think, you know, oh, don't put me up there. Yes, I was given the honor to be Jesus' mother, but I'm just a human, and I'm a sinner just like everybody else. But she was a servant, and she allowed God to use her in whatever way He wanted to use her. And um, I will leave with Mary's song of praise. I love this. This is what she sang after she met with, with Elizabeth. And it says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She recognized that Jesus was going to be her Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. See, Mary praised her Savior. That had to have been kind of awkward. You're praising a baby that's in your womb. Think about that for a moment. I mean, her mind must have been spinning so many times. But she knew that without God, she would be nothing. She could do nothing. God created her for this purpose, just like he has created each one of us for a specific purpose. All we have to do is have the faith to say, I am your servant, Lord. Do whatever you want to do. And it is in that that we'll find that peace that passes all understanding that is promised to us. It's just trusting in him because he is worthy of that trust. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing story that you have given us regarding Mary and how she trusted in you. 
that she had faith in you. And because of that, people would look back on her life and called her blessed. I thank you that she has given us a, a glimpse into who you are, that you would pour out upon a, a, a peasant woman, someone who was a nobody, and gave her this amazing blessing. I would ask that as we ponder her, Lord, that you would be able to even do that work in our own heart, that we would be able to put that kind of trust in you, in you no, matter the, no matter the circumstances, Lord, no matter what is going on, that we would be able to look to you and trust as she did. What a wonderful example. Let me just thank you for her. So we just ask you to be with uh, the study as we continue on, as we have our group discussion, Lord. Just open our eyes to hear what you want to tell each one of these precious ladies here. And so we love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.